morning, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Rodcast. It's great to have you all here listening and watching with us. Today, we're con continuing our fascinating series, introducing you to each one of our instructors. And today, we have an extra special interview for you today because oh we are interviewing our other piano instructor. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, all right, I'll go for it. My name is Emma Bolton. I am the other piano instructor at Rodman Steel Studios here. So you've got a little bit of piano on piano, one-on-one -on -one yes. interviewing, no it's, other instruments here. It's we can fantastic. talk shop. I don't, I, I don't know if you've listened to any of our other podcasts yet, but at the end of this interview, I'm gonna ask you which instrument you'd wanna learn if you you know didn't play piano, which instrument you would wanna learn. And I already I, know. I just want you to know that a significant number of our other instructors have said that piano is the instrument that they would learn if they had to pick another one. So I mean, it is the best. It's the what best, can I say? right? So I feel, I feel like uh, our other instructors are, if they were watching this episode, they'd be very happy because they wish that they could play piano. Put yourself in our shoes. This is your chance. <laughs> imagine you're me, because that's all you can do. <laughs> right? We can't be each other, but we can imagine it. Okay, so. As I've said, pian uh, Emma's a piano instructor here. We love her, she's fantastic. Uh, and yeah, let's get into it. So Emma, when did you first start playing piano? All right, so I first started playing piano when I was Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little bit a little bit uh, unorthodox with this. I first started experimenting with keys and with piano type things when my grandpa got me a little a little dinky keyboard, like three years old, mm -hmm. with like little stickers on the keys just to mess around with. Yes. And I just kind of thought it was you know, just a little little fun thing to play with when I got bored. Um, but I didn't start taking lessons until age seven. Oh wow. When okay. my yeah, my parents took me out of public school at like first grade ish, mm -hmm. just because we kind of came from a small town, not a lot of educational opportunities. We just thought it was better to homeschool. Mm -hmm. And so that was just an extracurricular. It was just an extracurricular, just something to um, have once a week to keep accountability mm -hmm. um, and give me some structure in my everyday. But it didn't really become something I was super serious about until about 13-ish when I realized it was kind of one of the few things that I was genuinely very good at. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> by process of elimination, started taking it seriously and now I'm here. Awesome. Well, I am actually kind of shocked to hear you started piano that late because most people that are at your level of piano with, you know, studying piano performance and everything like that, which we'll get into, like most people, they'll oh, I started when I was four. I started yeah. when I was three. I it's, started when I was five. It's a little bit so. of a shocker. Yeah. yeah. Right on right on the edge. I mean, it's not the latest that I've heard. There is... Um, I came across and worked with a pianist in high school who had a wonderful touring and performance career who started when he was 12. Wow, now, he that's was a genius. Not yeah. quite there, but like it is possible. Mm -hmm. But generally, yeah, per people who end up being professional, usually it's a sort of a prodigy early preschool age situation. Mm -hmm. so yes. A little bit of an anomaly there. Yes. Well, and I know I'm not nearly as proficient a pianist as you and I started when I was four. So, but I was also not really serious about piano. But, anyways. This interview isn't about me. So, I also happen to know that you have some choral experience and you did some voice lessons. When mm -hmm. did that start? 
Yeah, so that was about starting age nine. Mm -hmm. um, again, just another extracurricular, music-based. Um, I like to sing, and I enjoyed singing, and so my parents thought, well, you know, we can do something with that every week. So I joined um, a local community choir called Bay Area Youth Singers, which is still up and running, and mm -hmm. all of my siblings are still in it today. Mm -hmm. um, and I sang with them for about, I guess, about nine years, more wow, or less. They sponsored me to do a lot of honor choirs, a lot of different choir events to travel to, and just gave me a lot of great opportunities um, as a vocalist and also as a pianist mm -hmm. as well for accompanying gigs. They really supported me in that too. So wow. I was really lucky to yeah. have like a really solid community that was mm -hmm. kind of rooting for me back home. Yeah, that sounds like a great organization. So you say local mm -hmm. back home. Where mm -hmm. are you from? I'm from Laporte, Texas, which is southeast of Houston. Okay. But since there's kind of nothing there, everything that my family would do all the extracurriculars even all the shopping and just going out all happened in more of the Friendswood Clear Lake mm -hmm. area okay. um, which is has a, an interestingly very thriving arts community despite oh, its cool, sort of though. suburban classification mm -hmm. some of the best regions and some of the uh, for like TMEA and some of the best high school level um, both solo instrumentalists and orchestras and bands come from that area yeah. so it is a very very fortunate place to grow mm -hmm. up in musically yeah and it's you I can tell you've definitely benefited from that as far as your own uh, proficiency and experiences and that kind of thing so um so you participated in this choir you did you got to do accompaniment with this choir so how old were you when you started doing an accompaniment um, I think my first accompanying gig with them was when I was about 14 or 15 okay yeah um, since it's more of a elementary and middle school focused choir mm -hmm. um, when you hit high school, there's not as much for you to do mm -hmm. in the organization, so they really tried to like make things for me mm -hmm. to do, and one of those was accompanying the Young Children's Chorus. Nice. So I got to work with a choir director one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. you know, at, at 14. That's Such so a cool awesome. opportunity. And were you accompanying for all of the rehearsals as well as performances? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's so Which awesome. Which for little kids is a little <laughs> bit more of just like being an additional teacher in yes. the classroom. Yes, I'm sure. But it was so fun to just play, you know, and have them sing mm -hmm. their cute little voices. Yes. And it's just oh, teach a basic technique awesome opportunity. That's so cool. And I'm sure you learned a lot about choral pedagogy, oh, just observing her and being definitely. in that environment. Mm -hmm. And also the just the process of being an accompanist, being an accompanist that's there for all the rehearsals as opposed to like just playing for someone one time. Yeah. I'm sure that that was a very formative experience at that age. Absolutely. And so how long did you continue accompanying that choir? So I can, uh, continued accompanying them through the rest of high school. Mm -hmm. um, there were a couple times over the summers um, once I got into college where I would go back and accompany for their summer program. Mm -hmm. Might be doing that this year, we'll see. Okay. Um, but it's just an additional wonderful sort of connection back home to Mm -hmm. continue helping out that really wonderful organization yeah shout out shout babies. out <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well I'm glad you had that opportunity so you I, I'm getting a picture you started playing piano you incorporated choir you were able to kind of weave those two together with the accompaniment and then also singing and everything that was going on with that what age were you when you decided like okay music is really the thing for me i'm gonna major in music in college oh 13. 13 Absolutely. okay 13. yeah when i started taking it seriously because I, I i plan ahead ever since I've, i was a kid i've always been a very long-term planner mm -hmm. like i know what i want to do in 10 years time yes so when i was 13 i was thinking okay what what's college what are we going to do mm -hmm. where's where's that going to go yeah and so it was 
13 was when I decided music. And then it was a couple years later that I really decided it was piano because mm -hmm. voice was a hot contender for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I also considered doing voice for university as well. So what was it that eventually decided for you, I'm going to do piano and not voice? It was harder. It was harder. And it's like, that's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a masochistic thing to say. That's but like, the exact same reason that I picked piano. I just, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rag on vocalists, but I kind of am one, so I can <laughs> a little bit. But once you know technique, once you understand technique, and especially if you have like a solid theory background, if you have perfect pitch, if you have these certain things, then singing is something that comes very naturally. Mm -hmm. And I am very much someone who likes to push themselves, mm -hmm. sometimes to my detriment. And if there's something that I can do relatively easy, I don't want to do that. Yes. I want to do the hard thing. Yes. I want to do the difficult thing. <laughs> yes. So piano was the way to go for me. Yes. And also just way more just stimulating, mm -hmm. just mentally. Yes. There's so much more going on that I have to control mm -hmm. that that's very attractive for me. Yes. So piano was the way to go. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad you picked piano. I'm glad you ended up here with us because it's been, we were lucky enough to play a duet for a, a concert in December. Nothing, we did, we did. Nothing crazy, but it was flashy and the audience loved it and it was really fun. So yeah. that I have enjoyed collaborating with you even in that small way. So I'm me glad too, you man. picked piano. Um, what was it that made you choose SMU? Okay, so I had decided that for my undergrad, I was definitely gonna stay in Texas. So there's a lot of thriving music schools in Texas. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot to choose from. Um, but I specifically wanted to look at programs that had leanings in pedagogy mm -hmm. because being real, that's how you make your career. Yeah, There are very few concert pianists, and this is also you know, me at the time, mm -hmm. what I wanted out of life. I didn't want to perform full yeah. time. Yes. I wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. and most of the time that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Even if you are an incredibly successful performer, you're teaching somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a school that had a strong pedagogy foundation. And um, there were a couple schools that were in that ballpark, but SMU really like went out of their way to like show how thriving it was. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, being a student there and finishing up my degree with an emphasis in pedagogy, I really get to see how much of a good choice that was for mm. me because I've taught in their program. I've had kids compete that mm -hmm. I teach in their program and win mm -hmm. awards, yeah. you know, because of the guidance that I'm getting one-on-one -on -one mm. feedback from the two pedagogy professors that we have here at SMU. Um, and that's just so invaluable and not really something you can get anywhere else. There's a reason it's one of the top pedagogy schools in the nation. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. And I, I didn't go to SMU, but I even I out at Texas Tech when I was doing my grad school, I've heard a lot of great things about piano pedagogy at SMU and just piano in general at SMU. I've heard mm -hmm. a lot of really positive things. So mm -hmm. I'm not surprised to hear that you've had such a positive experience there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, like, what are a couple of things that you I guess a couple of highlights, shall we say. Um, memorable experiences, ensembles, accompaniment opportunities, classes. What are a couple of things that stand out to you when you think about your time at SMU now that you're so close to being done? Yeah, so there are a couple of things that I can think of. Um, the first one is more general. Um, mm -hmm. One of my work study jobs that I do at SMU is stage managing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I do a lot mm -hmm. of because there are very few of us and there are a lot of events going on, yes. both large ensemble as well as just regular student recitals. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have a lot of great memories of meeting some of my best friends through that, mm -hmm. working with guest clinicians and guest artists through that. Mm -hmm. um, 
it completely changes the way that you view performances and mm. recitals. Getting to because, see the behind the scenes. Yeah, because you are the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of your show to run. Yeah. And so, you know, I can think about the times where, you know, we've had a large ensemble concert and it's just me managing mm-hmm. or it's just me and one other person and we've got to move 60 chairs in <laughs> five minutes. And it's just those types of situations that really build character yes. and really build your appreciation for everything that goes on yes. into making concert so there's yes. that um, but one more specific one that I can think of here recently that I, I'm, I'm still like buzzing about mm-hmm. um, we had a half week long John Cage um, festival That's at so SMU sponsored by um, and and, and made in partnership with Bridwell Library and mm-hmm. Meadow School of the Arts and they worked together to put that on um, I got to be there for a bunch of the events and um, since I know director Leah of the Bridwell Library mm-hmm. um, I was present for the final recital that they did where they had 433 on the program oh my goodness really yes that's so bold yes <laughs> and so at the um, at the beginning right before the concert started director Leah walks up to me and he goes would you like to play 433 with us oh my goodness and he explains to me that um, he decided that um, what they're going to do specifically is arrange 433 for six hands at the piano. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be me, director Leah, and the guest scholar and composer Kyle Gann. Oh my goodness. So you're like piano. all on one bench? Or all like, on one oh bench. Oh my goodness, you so all squished there. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was absolutely just... An inc- just incredibly ridiculous, but also wonderful and profound experience. That's, that is amazing. So I get to say now that I played 433 with Kyle Gann, mm-hmm. and that is something I'm going to be bragging about yes. for a long time. That's so <laughs> awesome. And for the audience members that don't remember, we talked about John Cage's composition 433 in a previous episode, but um, it's this very experimental piece of music where the music is a bunch of ambient audience noise essentially and it's scored for whatever performers you want on whatever instrument you want to get up and set a timer and sit there and just listen for four minutes and 33 seconds which is a long time to just sit there and not play any music oh yeah it felt a lot longer (laughs) than any rendition of it that i've listened to yes yeah but it was that was an experience that sounds (laughs) that sounds amazing and i'm just thinking Three people sitting there squished on the bench, and one of them is Kyle Gann. That is so cool. What an awesome experience. Mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about um, the future a little bit. So yeah. you're, you're almost done with yeah. your degree. You're graduating in May, right? Mm-hmm. Which you must be very excited about. I, I am. Mm-hmm. And I, we've, we've talked a little bit before about how you've mentioned to me you're interested in going to graduate school to study musicology, which mm-hmm. I'm very happy about because I also study musicology. Uh, um, so I'm, I haven't heard the development. Have you heard from anywhere where I you're going to go? I do have some fun developments. This is going to be old by the time this comes out. <laughs> but um, while I was on my trip retreat into the Oklahoma wilderness, mm-hmm. we discussed before this started, I went out with some fellow musician friends and just took in nature. While I was out there, I got a letter of acceptance from Northwestern. Yay! So that is where I'm going. That's so exciting. Because of course it's where I'm going. That's I'm so exciting. I'm not going to Northwestern. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. So yeah, I will be beginning a master's in musicology in fall of 2022 at oh, Northwestern University. Congratulations. So, yeah. Congratulations. Very I'm exciting. So, I'm so happy for you. Have you thought at all about like 
areas you might be interested in researching? Or are you kind of just okay. going to go in with open arms? So and I, I have I have some past research topics that I've really delved into. I'm in the midst of a massive research um, project and lecture recital preparation for mm-hmm. mus- some music of the early Soviet avant-garde mm-hmm. uh, movement. And um, so I've been working on that for a little over a year, mm-hmm. um, but it's a little depressing sometimes because <laughs> yes. like everyone was in prison. Yes. So I I would love to move to something else. Yes. But I do love the music, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't mind that as well. But yeah, I am so open to mm-hmm. anything. I'm I, I'm a massive nerd on just mm-hmm. such a broad level mm-hmm. that yes. anything that they throw at me, I guarantee you, I'm gonna fall in love with. Yes. Well, I'm I'm really happy for you that you are gonna go and have this experience. I didn't go to Northwestern and I know that musicology at every school has a totally different vibe and a totally different feeling but I really loved grad school and I think you're really gonna love it too so congratulations thank you congratulations thank you can't wait to hear how things go for you there it'll be wild for sure yeah so let's let's change gears a little bit we've talked a lot about education SMU going to grad school at Northwestern and then obviously your experiences when you were younger. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about performance. Mm -hmm. I know that you don't have, um, you have more of a classical background, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I know that like in your, in the course of your schooling, you've done a lot of performances. So um, what's the earliest memory you have of a performance that you played as a solo pianist? Well, um, my earliest performance that I can think of is my first performance, mm-hmm. um, which was the first studio recital for my first piano teacher. Um, that was her little spring recital, end of mm-hmm. year kind of thing. Um, and I played these two pieces. Um, I think one was like called the Glass Slipper or something. Mm-hmm. It was this cute little waltz. Yes. And then one was this uh, another little autumn waltz that mm-hmm. I also played back to back. And it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy. Mm-hmm. And then a couple people after me, um, this poor girl got on stage and played Kabalevsky's um, clown piece. It's a very popular intermediate mm-hmm. level piece. Had the biggest memory slip of her life. Oh, poor and thing. just sitting there in the audience, I was just struck with such terror because I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you could like forget your music and mm-hmm. then like cry on stage. Aww. I didn't think about that. And so from then on, I always, I've always been very nervous. I have, I have very severe performance anxiety. Really? Okay. And, um, and I think it almost kind of ties back to that moment. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting to go back and reflect on that recital because mm-hmm. I, that recital I remember specifically just being happy mm-hmm. and at home and just loving everything on stage. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that I just kind of hold as like my peak. Mm-hmm. Even though that was like a beginner's piece, mm-hmm. right? For me, that's my best performance. Wow. That was my best performance ever because wow. I was completely fearless. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I am still trying to do today. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope you can get back, back there. That's such a an interesting like um opposite from I feel like a lot of people's experiences like mm-hmm. I because I had a lot of performance anxiety when I was younger but mm-hmm. as I've gotten older I've kind of like grown out of it a mm-hmm. little bit and I think that's kind of like a little bit more what I've heard stories from other people like right. I don't think anyone ever completely overcomes performance I don't think anxiety so. I don't think so and I think a little bit of performance anxiety is actually good because oh, yes. I think it makes you more attentive, makes yes. you pay more attention to what you're doing, maybe even helps your memory a little bit, depending mm-hmm. on who you are. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think back to like when I was a little kid and like playing in front of people absolutely terrified the poop out of me. And I would never have felt comfortable as a little kid playing in front of people. Yeah. So I'm, well, I'm glad you have that 
I ha- I'm glad you have that memory and that is at least somewhat positive. Oh, definitely. It's, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. But that poor girl. Oh, my I, goodness. I, I still feel bad for her for the next few it's recitals because so we were still in the same studio. Mm-hmm. I would kind of, I would just kind of just be like kind of rooting for the back. You can do it. You can do it. Don't forget it. You can do it. I've never spoken to you, but you can do it. <laughs> Um, so I, I hope she's doing well. Yeah. But yeah. I'm sure very, she's out there somewhere. Very, I've, I've always had a very interesting relationship with performance. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I lean to uh, sort of automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but where anything but piano is concerned, it's the easiest thing in the world. Yes. Well, piano is so much di- more difficult it's, it's, than It's else. a lot more involved. And it's also, there tends to be a, a more serious crowd that's drawn to yes. it. You know, like any choir concert that I would sing at, even solos, totally normal totally fine it's mm-hmm. a bunch of parents or you know it's a bunch of choir people choir people are so disarmingly nice yes. as well that it's yes. like okay yeah it's fine um but um with piano specifically it's the only thing that still makes me nervous on stage mm-hmm. i yeah. can speak on stage i can read on stage i can do it i was a theater kid middle school mm-hmm. no problem yeah but piano oh boy it's yeah. nerve-wracking again though chasing that thing that's challenging mm-hmm. i think there's a, that's also a, the the anxiety from it is mm-hmm. a little bit of that bug that bit me yeah yeah so it's very interesting i've got a very interesting relationship mm-hmm. with piano yeah. performance specifically. well it sounds like it i hope that uh that's something you're able to overcome oh yeah and then you can feel me too gratified <laughs> about it like yeah i did this hard thing yeah <laughs> that's awesome okay so what are i mean this is maybe kind of a very broad question to just hit you with, but what mm. are a couple of performances that you've had that have been pretty memorable for you? Mm. Aside from that first one, obviously. And yeah. they can be solo, piano, Yeah. Um, I can think of a couple at the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a very sort of, like, milestone um, kind of person, mm-hmm. so a lot of the most memorable ones to me are firsts, mm-hmm. twin firsts. Yeah. Um, one that I can think of is my first competition that mm-hmm. I did when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, up until that point, my teacher didn't think that I was very ready, which mm-hmm. may have not been the best decision, but... Yeah, yeah, it worked out how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't compete until I was 13. Mm-hmm. And um, that first competition was a local sort of TMTA competition. Um, one of those, like, uh, contemporary festivals. Mm-hmm. I played two WC pieces, um, the famous arabesque in E major, <laughs> and um, and then the number four Snow is Dancing piece from his children's suite. Mm-hmm. And um, I played those back-to-back on a kind of crummy old upright piano mm-hmm. um, in a very small room because this uh, this competition was hosted at the local community college mm-hmm. and um, they had um, a pianist come out who was a member of um, this pretty prominent Houston area children's music organization and um, he sat there and he listened to me and I played the first piece and he didn't say anything and then I played the second piece and then after I played the second piece um, he asked to speak to me for a second because it was just like a private um, mm-hmm. audition thing and he just told me how wonderful I was Aww. and how beautiful that was Aww. and how there was so much nuance in it and he just couldn't believe that I played that so well Aww. and I was just very dumbfounded because I thought I was it was just kind of average <laughs> so I was like okay guy all right I'm gonna take this with a grain of salt and um on my on my critique sheet he wrote this beautiful and this gorgeous script this just beautiful letter um just like thanking me for my performance and telling me to not stop playing and to keep Mm -hmm. on and um I have it just like in like my treasured memorabilia of just this just wonderful encouraging letter that's so sweet yeah and so it was a very very positive and very warm experience oh yes yeah so that's that that's that's an that's up there on mm-hmm. one of my more memorable performances. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on a different note, completely different note, um, some other memorable performances that I can think of that I've done here, um, and some of my favorites to do, um, are those premiering the compositions of good friends of mine. Mm -hmm. A lot of my very close friends are composition majors here at SMU, mm -hmm. and I'm very involved in that scene. Mm -hmm. um, I love premiering new works, and yeah. I love working with them especially. Yes. Um, and so one of my favorite experiences sort of around that um, was this event that we normally do, kind of got canceled due to COVID, but I hope they bring it back. Mm -hmm. um, the composing department, every year, they'll do a 24-hour Compose-a-thon event. That's so And fun. so um, at, um, at in the middle of the night, um, they'll all gather in meadows and pick the, um, the like a certain orchestration of a group out of a hat. Mm -hmm. um, and whatever that orchestration is, they have to write for it, and they have 24 hours mm -hmm. before the concert. Wow. So 24 hours to have it written and for the, uh, the musicians to, to, have, it. to have it mm -hmm. rehearsed and ready. So um, I volunteered my name freshman year, mm -hmm. and it got picked out um, along with a violinist friend of mine. So um, this one graduate composer had to deal with a pianist and a violinist. Mm -hmm. Go. You get, let's go. That sounds so, so much fun. And it was so much fun because we had no idea what we were going to get. Mm -hmm. Woke up in the morning, got to Meadows early, and he was like, here you go. Mm -hmm. And it was this weird, modern, avant-garde mm -hmm. thing. Um, very difficult to read, very dense. And my friend and I, we just gulped down coffee and we're like, all right, let's, let's do, do this. It. Yeah. Let's do this. We rehearsed for a few hours and we performed it. And it was so fun because you could see everyone who was performing was kind of tense about it. Yes. Very accomplished musicians, kind of not in their comfort zone at all. <laughs> yes. And so it was just a very fun, relaxed, but also very challenging yeah. event. I really hope they bring it back because it yeah. was such a unique experience. Um, and that, that had to be one of my favorite That sounds um, like so much fun I man I'm like wow I wish I had done something like that that sounds was, so cool it was it was beyond awesome that's that's really fun yeah. did you uh did the guy that wrote the piece did he uh like choose to do anything more with it or was it kind of like oh, okay that was I think it was thing. just an exercise for him mm -hmm. yeah. since he was a grad student he was working on bigger projects so yeah. this was just like a little five minute mm -hmm. two movement piano violin piece yeah. yeah something to kind of throw away mm -hmm. I hope he I hope he brings it he had some really cool textures mm -hmm. that's but fun. yeah it was it was awesome I love working with composers here that sounds great yeah. so actually on kind of a more serious note you mentioned COVID mm -hmm. um I I've mentioned in other interviews with other instructors you know COVID really it affected all musicians because mm -hmm. music is such a communal thing, mm -hmm. but it also affected us all in like totally different ways. Yeah. So um, now that we've come, well, fingers crossed, come out of most of the <laughs> most restrictions from COVID, mm -hmm. what are kind of looking back, what are some ways you felt like your experience with music making was significantly changed because of COVID? Um, well, one thing that I can think of very specifically was um, the loss of facilities. Mm -hmm. um, because back home, I've got just a little old upright mm -hmm. that me and all my siblings play on and mm -hmm. desperately needs tuning, mm -hmm. like the key pressure's off, kind of persnickety things. Yes. But um, losing that and losing that sort of isolated space to work, mm -hmm. going back in with my whole family, I've got four younger siblings and a three-bedroom house mm -hmm. it's kind of cramped in there um and still having to work and create and yeah. still having to practice and still having to produce music was very challenging mm -hmm. so it'd be one thing if everything stopped but mm -hmm. it kind of didn't yeah. the expectations were still there mm -hmm. in a very difficult atmosphere yeah um, I would have to drive 45 minutes to the nearest grand piano mm -hmm. um, at a church that I've got really close ties with. 
mm-hmm. um, to practice every day. And, you know, that was just a whole other ordeal in and yes. of itself. Yes. And so, the, you know, those things that I really take for granted, being five minutes from a practice room filled with, you know, brands making new Steinways, it's, it was really kind of a wake-up call for mm-hmm. me. Um, and also, you know, um, having, you know, all of these performances that I had laid out for that semester sort of taken away things that normally I dread mm-hmm. and that w- w- were freaking me out mm-hmm. but to just have them taken away yeah also made me realize oh I actually kind of do like them though yes even though there's all this mental anguish and turmoil mm-hmm. now I don't have them at all mm-hmm. so it really it really caused me to reevaluate you know mm-hmm. I actually do love this yeah what, are, what is my relationship gone. with all of this right. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was, it was a very, in retrospect, it was very good. Yeah. I think. I mean, not that the pandemic was not good. Yeah. But what I got out of it There was mentally, positive change. What I got out of it mentally was good. The, the mm-hmm. maturing that came from having yeah. to deal with it was good. Yeah. Yeah. And will, you know, help me approach things in a more healthy way mm-hmm. with the bigger picture in mind. Yeah. Because it could all be taken away again. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really true. And especially, like, as a pianist, I think we kind of felt that, um, like you're saying, loss of access to resources a lot more than other instrumentalists Mm -hmm. because we can't just take our instrument with us (laughs) wherever we go. And, you know, being being able to have practice facilities with instruments that are really state-of-the-art, like that's something that other instrumentalists might take for granted more than we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not percussionists, you know, because who has a set of timpani at home? But, (laughs) but like, you know, compared to your trumpeter or, Mm -hmm. you know, piccolo player, like, yeah. Our inst- we are so tied to our instrument to make music and to practice music. And, you know, for me during the pandemic, that was also a huge, a huge change. So I can only imagine what it must have been like for you as someone that was playing piano a lot more than I was at that time. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that you were able to get something positive out yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also really sort of fostered my love in musicology as well mm-hmm. because, you know, you realize how reliant performance is on a very stable society. Yes. That's very tricky mm-hmm. and that's kind of, you know, letting the dice be rolled for you, mm-hmm. for your career. Whereas something that you're able to conduct on your own, mm-hmm. something that is uh, literary-based, something that is education-based, mm-hmm. things that there are needs for, mm-hmm. that's a little bit more stable. And so mm-hmm. it also caused me to reevaluate, well, what do I want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen if I, you know, go the performance route and this happens again? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And there's always, I mean, there's always opportunities for performance if you're a great player. That's, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's really, that's really the case. And it's absolutely the case that when you're, when you're studying musicology, you still have a lot of opportunities to perform with oh, people. Oh, definitely. Because when you're in grad school, everybody that's on the more, like, book side tends to, well, at least this was true at the school I went to, everyone that's on the more book side, like theory, composition, musicology, people that do PhDs in education, you know, more on the research side, they end up kind of flocking together because we are all kind of spending our time doing a lot of reading and writing. Mm -hmm. Whereas people that are doing stuff that's more application-based, like conducting Mm -hmm. or, you know, choral conducting, instrumental conducting, uh, anything that's like a DMA as opposed to PhD, they end up spending a lot of time together as well because they're doing a lot of the same things too. So, you know, as a pianist, your composition friends are going to want you all the time oh, absolutely. <laughs> to hear you to hear absolutely. you play things. That's and, how it uh, is now. <laughs> exactly, and that'll get even more that way in grad school. Oh, definitely. Because uh, it, it's just such a 
everything's so intertwined. Mm-hmm. And and I think like that experience you had with that composathon, that's totally going to be something that I mean maybe not that exact format, but your composition friends like being like, hey, play this for me. Tell me if it feels oh, weird. Oh, it happens all the yeah. time. It happens all the time. Exactly. And that's going to continue in grad school. And, and so I'm really happy for you that that's something you're going to be able to continue doing with performing and studying and just continuing to incorporate both of those things that you love. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad you found a path where you're able to do both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to end, I have a couple of fun questions left. Oh, boy. Um, one of them is... Uh, so you've already mentioned your job as a stage manager, mm-hmm. which is very cool and, and very fascinating. It totally fits into this category that I'm about to describe. All right. Most musicians that I know who've reached a, pr- a pretty solid level of proficiency and age have ended up having at least one kind of weird job in order to keep the lights on or f- further their experience. Um, and like I said, that stage manager thing definitely sounds like this. But is there any other job you can think of that you've had that was kind of weird that brought you to where you are hmm let's see one that I can think of that is um definitely now this is still like music related Mm -hmm. but the teaching that I did in high school Mm -hmm. there's a special kind of desperation to a music teacher that's high school aged (laughs) that brings out the weirdest situations Mm -hmm that you will ever find. I, one of the um, families that I taught in high school, because I was, I ran in a lot of homeschool circles, obviously, mm-hmm. um, was a family of five that asked me to um, come and teach them all back to back, ages like five to straight up 17, mm-hmm. my age, in one day, mm-hmm. with no air conditioning in the house. Oh my goodness. And my mom would drive me out there like 40 minutes to to get there every week to to teach these kids. And the amount of, there there, there is not much that is more horrifying than being a 17 year old teaching another 17 year old who does not like that you were teaching them because you're literally the same age. Mm -hmm. And so the power struggles that I would have to deal with every week, Mm -hmm. this 16 and 17 year olds, these 16, 17 year old sisters just, can you please do what I ask you? Can you <laughs> just, just do it, please? Please. please. Pretty please. Oh like, I know goodness. that you think I'm not cool, but could you just, like, please do this? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, your mom's paying me to do this. <laughs> so the, definitely the, the teaching job, because most of what I've done for jobs is teaching. Yes. Because it's just, it, it, it pays a lot better, and if you have a skill, it's very good to use it, mm-hmm. you know, for that, for that purpose. Um, but... When you don't have a lot of clout mm-hmm. as a teacher, yes. you end up in some fun situations. Yes. And so I found that often mm-hmm. in high school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't imagine having taught private piano lessons in high school. I, Yeah, that sounds wild to me. <laughs> I mean, even teaching undergraduates music history and being only a couple of years older than them. There's I just like, not a lot of age there. And so yeah. you really have to turn on, like, the I'm going to pretend to be I a mom energy. mode, yes. Yeah. I had to just put in my mind, okay, if this was one of my younger siblings, how would I talk to mm-hmm. them? And kind of turn that on a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes it worked. In the case of this family, it did not. And, <laughs> well, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope that 
you have more positive teaching experiences oh, now, now in general. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yes. But yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I can't imagine having taught in high school. It would have been, well, for private piano at least, that would have been wild. But, but anyways. I, I do have another. Yes, This one's please. even better. This just came to my head. There have been so many little small gigs that I did in mm, high school to try yes. and get connections that yes. really were not like ethically good. <laughs> Um, and the one that I can specifically think of was through the um, woman in charge of the bass choir. Um, she had an acquaintance that ran a community theater um, in a small town in Dickinson, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit, a little bit further out from the Clear Lake area. Mm-hmm. And um, it was this old, old community theater that's like on, on their main street that she bought in like Civil War era. <laughs> I don't know when. And so here I am, 15 years old. I don't have a car, so my parents have to drive me. And the plan was this lady, she explained to me, okay, so we have rehearsals every week. And um, at the end of the end of the rehearsals, we're going to have like a weekend of like back to back performances, you know, get paid for all of that. And the rates sounded good. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, I'll sign on. And so I did. And so they gave me the big old binder of the music of the entire musical. Um, and I spent, you know, like a whole week learning it. And then I show up to the first rehearsal. It's in the middle of the night and it's up in the weird dusty attic. And it's this old woman and like three children that have just been dropped off to do this musical. At night? At night. That's wild. And so my parents just dropped me off and we're like, okay, you can like text us when this is over. And so I'm sitting at a little keyboard while this tiny old lady is like shepherding these children. And it was the most disorganized rehearsal I'd ever seen. That had to be so crazy. But the kicker is, a couple weeks into the, into doing this, um, I asked her, you know, about, like, payment. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, this is a lot of gas and a lot of time. And I'd like to, I was wondering when I'm going to get paid. Mm-hmm. So she goes, oh, I thought you knew this was a volunteer position. And I said... Um, excuse you? I said, it's, it's what? It's what? <laughs> I'm sorry. What? So I had to make that phone call Mm -hmm. as a high schooler of like okay you're gonna pay me money and I'm gonna quit because this is not what I agreed to do yes and so it was a whole series of phone calls negotiating with this woman to just please let me go please let me go and um and finally um she wrote me a check for the two rehearsals that Mm -hmm. I had like done and prepared for and that was it and I parted ways with the little community theater oh my goodness nowhere what an experience to have like standing up for yourself at that age it was very terrifying because I felt bad because Mm -hmm. I was thinking oh this poor old lady she probably just got it mixed up but then my dad was like no I was there she did not she was very clear she lied to you Mm -hmm. so Mm. That's wild. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found out after only two rehearsals. Yeah. Because that would have been too. crazy. Me too. That would have been horrible. Oh, my god. But, gosh. yeah, definitely a weird experience and definitely mm-hmm. one that taught me, have everything in writing. Yes. Before you play yes. a single note. Yes. And it really everything. is true. Like, people, it's crazy to me the amount of times I've accompanied for something or seen friends accompanying for something and just how many times you get screwed over. People think that pianists will just play because they love to play and that they don't care about getting paid or that it's like not work for them at all to accompany for something. People just like take so much advantage of accompanists for things. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to Mm -hmm. me the amount that people like 
just do not care about pianists who oh, are yeah. accompanying for things. Oh, yeah. It's wild. So, I mean, hey, I'm glad you learned even at that age that people will try to scam you oh, to yeah. get free labor. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was crazy. Well, that's definitely a wild memory and a crazy experience. Yeah. So, <laughs> now I'm going to bring up the last question, which I already mentioned at the beginning. Mm. So, we're both pianists, mm -hmm. you're a vocalist, mm -hmm. I don't know, um, you probably played other instruments like in methods classes and stuff. Oh no. Uh, no, no, she None. says, I'm oh not, no. I, I, no, I did not touch them at all, no. Well, then this is even, an even more relevant question. If you weren't going to play the piano anymore, yeah. or if you could just choose to learn one other instrument, uh -huh. which one would you pick? Hands down, organ. Organ! Which I know. You haven't done organ at all? I really haven't. Wow. I, I should have taken advantage of the opportunity while I was here, but my mm -hmm. schedules were yeah, always yeah, way yeah. too busy. But I do firmly believe that the organ is the most difficult instrument yes, that we have in I think Western it, canon. I, I think it really is. It blows my mind how complex it is. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of not as well-known repertoire mm -hmm. that is non, you know, non-liturgical, mm -hmm. non, you know, not for religious uses, just classical repertoire for the organ that is so stunning. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, it has such a wide variety of color mm -hmm. and there's not enough people playing it. Yeah. And I would, I, I would, I would love to be a part of that so much. Mm -hmm. But I know it's like so above like my mental it's capacity so to deal difficult. with. It's so difficult. It's so hard. There's way too much. Yeah. Like I, I have trouble with, with what I've got now. <laughs> I don't yeah. need. Well, I don't need to add stuff. the feet and my all my back problems to it. I don't it. need other manuals. I don't need knobs and stops, <laughs> and I don't need yeah. that in my life. But if I could, if yeah. I could, if I could go back and like beg mm -hmm. my mom in like middle school to let me take organ lessons, mm -hmm. I absolutely would. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like. I, th I totally agree with you. Organ, I think, is definitely the hardest instrument we have in the Western canon because it's like piano, but add 50% difficulty. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. And the piano is, like, one of the hardest instruments, objectively. Objectively. Okay? I'm, not saying Statistically. That, I'm not saying that other musicians don't work hard, but piano is the hardest instrument. Statistically. Okay? Like, I can read your music, you can't read mine. Y like, that's... Yes. Come on. Yes. Come on. We're both in agreement. Piano's the hardest instrument. But, p you know, take piano, add 50% difficulty, and you get organ. But, but, at the same time... If you already can play the second hardest instrument, and the first hardest involves basically the same mechanics plus some more, like you're in a pretty good position already to like experiment. Possibly, with stuff. possibly there are some there are some more detailed um, issues of like how to accomplish dynamics and things mm -hmm. like that as well yep. that are like additional difficulties. Yes, it wouldn't be impossible. But mm -hmm. there's just so much. Mm -hmm. There's just so much. Yes. Well, and but so I actually didn't know this until recently. Maybe I'll cut it. But um, I. So the church that I go to has an organ. Mm -hmm. It's 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 an electric organ mm -hmm. because there's no pipes, but it is it's basically been like converted to an electric one. So like it's a normal mm -hmm. organ, but they just like have the signal sent to a speaker that plays the pitches. So like you know you've seen those other electric organs which are like almost like jukebox type things. Yeah, it's not like that. It's like a real organ with real stops and stuff. But a feature that it has is that when you're first learning it you can, there's like this this thing you can do where you can tell it to um, play the pedals for you with um, like one of the manuals. No way. So you play one of the manuals and it, it doubles with the um, like bottom notes. Yeah. So you can get like organ light 
to like start practicing playing on different manuals, pulling oh, out stops at certain times without so necessarily cool. having to like incorporate the feet at the very, very beginning. That is so cool. And then you can wean yourself off of it once you're used to it yeah. and play with the feet. And that's what our organist does. Cause I don't play organ at our church cause there's a really accomplished organist there. I just play mm -hmm. piano. Mm -hmm. um, but I, she was telling me, she was like, yeah, if you ever wanna like come over and mess around on the organ, you're welcome to do that. And I was telling her like, yeah, I really want to, but like, I'm so, I like don't know how I'm gonna play all those foot pedals. She's like, oh honey, you can do it without it at first. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I want to try that. That's awesome. So maybe maybe you can find an organ like that. I know I, I'm gotta sure be. I'm sure the really traditional ones and like you know ones that have an amazing sound and all the pipes and everything. I don't know if that's some, a feature they would have. Who but knows? I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's something you could do if you wanted to dip your toe in the organ waters. Maybe so. Time. Maybe so. Yeah. I don't know. Like I yeah. said, I'm gonna be nerdy about everything yes, up there. Yes, so yes, yes, why not? You're gonna have a lot of fun. All right. But anyways, so yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on our podcast today. Really enjoyed talking to you, talking to another pianist at long last. This is, this is what we needed. Right, right. We, we should play more duets in the future. There you go. When you uh, graduate and have free time again. There's, you don't have all so of your many, performances. There's so many good accessible duets. Yes, honestly. I will, I will rain them upon you. Like there's please, so many. Please, Hey, you know, I was, I it, in high school, I developed a love for all of the Brahms waltzes for four oh, hands. They're so and they're so good. pretty they're so and good. not that hard. So yeah, maybe we can play some of those. But Anyways, hope you've enjoyed listening and watching, viewers. If you would like to take a uh, lesson with Emma today, sign up at RobinSteel.com. She's a fantastic instructor. Mm. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.